Gosling. Lloyd Gosling, Rochelle and Townsend is about a 30 attorney firm with a statewide practice located in Austin, Texas. We specialize in environmental, natural resource and energy regulation, litigation and employment law. My name is Lauren Kalashek. I'm managing director of our firm and the host for today's podcast. The purpose of our podcast is to really talk with some of our practice area experts about timely topics and trends in a more informal setting and in a way that we hope can be a little bit of fun and informative to our listeners. Today, we're speaking with Chris Brewster and Jamie Malden, two principals within our energy and utility practice group. They specialize in regulatory matters before the Public Utility Commission. And maybe, Chris, why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit about your background and experience? Sure. Thanks, Lauren. I started my career here in Texas working for the Texas Public Utility Commission and in commissioner advising and docket management and spent about three years there working on some big deregulation or electric deregulation cases before I came over and joined private practice here with Lloyd Gosling. During that time, it's been about 15 years now, I primarily represent cities as regulatory authorities, cities as consumers, but also cities as municipal utilities. So I've spent a lot of time focusing on electric utility rate making and watching and keeping track of rate making proceedings at the PUC. Great. And Jamie, tell us a little bit about your uh, professional background and expertise. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, I went to, after law school, I actually practiced civil litigation in Houston for a few years and determined that was not for me. So I actually ended up moving to San Francisco and that's where I started working in the utility world. I worked for the Public Utility Commission for a while and then I went into private practice, mostly representing labor unions in front of the California Public Utilities Commission and their role within the utility world there. And then after six years, I moved to Austin and started at Lloyd Gosling. And like Chris, I represent primarily cities in front of the Public Utility Commission and also the Railroad Commission and do also represent municipally owned utilities as well as a water IOU. And we're really glad to have Chris and Jamie with us today because they're going to be able to talk about a pretty busy year at the Public Utility Commission. Last year in 2019, there were two major cases that really set some significant precedent at the commission uh, that Jamie and Chris were involved in and monitoring and really kind of are now shaping the future of additional work that's coming before the commission. So just maybe wanted to turn it over to Chris to kind of describe those cases, give us a little bit of background on them. That's right. This year really saw the conclusion of two major electric rate cases in front of the PUC. And those cases were for Centerpoint Electric, which primarily serves the Houston area, both the city of Houston and a lot of the surrounding area. And then AEP, American Electric Power, which serves a, a very broad service territory from the Rio Grande Valley uh, on out to West Texas and Northwest Texas. Both of these utilities had not been before the commission for a full rate review for a very long time. Center Point, it had been about 10 years, and AEP longer than that, I think on the order of 12 or 14 years. I think in the minds of many, both were due for a comprehensive rate review. And so what were some of the significant policy issues, Jamie, that were taken up in these cases in Center Point and AEP? Well, I think it's, also, it's important to recognize that these utilities were required to come into the Public Utility Commission in 2018. The commission adopted mandatory timelines for investor-owned utility rate cases, primarily because 
certain utilities like Centerpoint and AEP had not been in in over 10 years. Uh, and so we're therefore probably over earning, but they were due for a full review. So I think that background is important to know. Uh, and so Centerpoint and AEP were required to both come in in 2019, a month apart. So while they were different cases, the commission was definitely looking at very similar issues in both. Who were the parties in the litigation? Who were the, the key parties in Centerpoint and who were the key parties in AEP? I think the, the profile of the interveners in both cases is, is similar. I oversaw our work on the Centerpoint case and the interveners in that case were, of course, cities, the, the client that we represent, Gulf Coast Coalition of Cities in the Houston area, as well as Texas Industrial Energy Consumers, Office of Public Utility Council, and then, of course, the staff of the PUC itself for the public interest. And the same is true with AEP. Unlike the Centerpoint case, we were the only city group, a city survey, AEP Texas, Centerpoint had a few other city groups, I think, involved, if that's not correct. Correct me, Chris. So there were the city group, the Office of Public Utility Council, commission staff, and then the industrial consumers as well. There were the, the main active parties, and then there were several other parties that were involved that weren't too active, but were still involved nonetheless. Yeah, Jamie, you raise a good point. In the Centerpoint case, the city of Houston was involved on its own behalf, kind of on its own. And then there was an additional coalition of cities other than Gulf Coast Coalition cities, the client that we represented. So a high degree of municipal interest in Centerpoint rates. We also forgot to talk about the reps. The retail electric providers were involved, in, at least in AEP, I'm assuming, in Centerpoint as well. That's right, they were. And so with regard to Centerpoint, Chris, what were some of the, the key takeaways coming out of that case that maybe are shaping future electric rate cases at the commission? A big question I think that folks had prior to the case was just how the case was going to go. In Centerpoint's last rate case about 10 years ago was, was heavily litigated. It did not settle and went to a full decision at SOA. Since that time, we've had a number of new laws passed. We've had total turnover of the commissioners. We have a new set of commissioners, at least as far as this utility goes. So there was just some question about how would this commission proceed with a full litigated electric utility rate case like Centerpoint and indeed like AEP. It just happened that Centerpoint went first. It was slightly earlier. So key issues in that case were how would the commission view an acceptable rate of return for an investor-owned electric utility? The, the financial markets were much different in 2019 and 2020 than they were during Centerpoint's last case. Some of the assumptions that go into cost of debt, cost of equity, what is an appropriate capital structure for a utility have changed or might have changed in, in certain parties' minds. And so it was just kind of unclear how the commission would would handle all of that and how they would approach those issues, just given how long it's been since Centerpoint was in and the fact that the, the commission was, the commissioners anyway, were entirely new. There was a, some questions about kind of staff or the other parties' desire for settlement. So would this case be likely to settle? Would it instead go to full hearing? And the answer to both of those questions was yes. It did settle, and it did go to full hearing. And that was, I think, at least in my mind, an unexpected procedural course for this case. And for the AP case, too, as, as Jamie will describe in a minute. 
But in the Centerpoint case, we had a fully litigated outcome. We had the hearing in front of the State Office of Administrative Hearings. We, the Gulf Coast Coalition of Cities, participated in that hearing. We filed briefs. We filed exceptions. The case actually went to the Public Utility Commission for final decision, during which commission and deciding the case actually made some preliminary decisions on key issues like center points rate of return. And only then did settlement discussions begin in earnest. That is a strange way, in my mind, an utility case to wrap up, at least based on my experience, where you have a full contested process, you actually have a decision starting to be rendered by the commission, and only then you kind of go down the, the settlement path. And ultimately, the case did settle. We settled in early 2020. And I think, Jamie, if I'm right, AEP case took a similar path. That's right. So the AEP case was interesting because it was about one to two months behind Centerpoint's case. So everything that was happening in Centerpoint was also happening in AEP, including the issues that the commission, that everybody was watching, like the rate of return, the capital structure, those were all in play as well. Additionally, we had the same procedural outcome that Centerpoint did. So Centerpoint was, uh, like I said, about a month or two ahead of us. So, uh, and and I say us, I'm talking about the AEP rate cases that I was involved in. So, you know, everyone was watching Centerpoint and watching the commissioners talk about Centerpoint and reading the PFD, the proposal for decision issued in the Centerpoint case. We had also hearing, participated fully, put on a full case, briefed all of the issues, received a proposal for decision from the SOA administrative law, filed exceptions. And then when Centerpoint, the commissioner started discussing Centerpoint, that case went into settlement. AEP to our case made it to the open meeting where the proposal for decision was supposed to be discussed. And the commissioners didn't take it up because they were still discussing the Centerpoint settlement. And they didn't want the discussion of that settlement to impact anything that was going on in the AEP rate case. So it was after Centerpoint started having settlement discussions that AEP started having settlement discussions and parties entered into discussions and actually fully settled that case as well. So it was the exact same procedural trajectory, which was highly unusual. Were there any points of divergence or difference between the two cases? I mean, it sounds like procedurally they went down the same path, which was interesting and probably tells us a lot about what may happen in the future. Were there any differences that were raised in the cases that people should be aware of? I think the main difference on the the biggest terms, press all of your input on this too, both Centerpoint and AEP ended up with the same ROE and cap structure. However, AEP ended up with a $38 million, I'm sorry, a $40 million rate decrease for its customers, whereas Centerpoint ended up with a $13 million increase. So I think in terms of the main, you know, if you're going to look at the big picture, the big points are that AEP received a significant rate decrease and Centerpoint received a slightly or a smaller rate increase than they requested, but it was still a rate increase nonetheless. Yeah, Jamie, I agree. I think that's the, the biggest point of divergence. Just one one got an increase, one got a decrease. But the way I read the center point outcome is essentially no change. I mean, mathematically, yeah, they, they got an increase. But Centerpoint came in asking, I think, for $150 million. 
and received 15 million. And the big drivers for that difference were a lot of the financial uh, assumptions that underpin their rates, like their rate of the return on equity, the resulting rate of return, and their capital structure. So as I look at the center point case, I view it as essentially a holding of their rates steady, you know, at, at then current levels, which to me, and, and you know, look through and look, looking at this case through one lens, might make sense. And, you know, essentially, the legislature decided last session that utilities should have regular rate reviews before the commission, specifically every four years. That's what drove the timing of these cases. So it's not surprising, perhaps, that the commission and the parties kind of took these rates under review, looked under the hood, and for the commission, or the, or the, I guess the settlement, really, to have decided not much needs to change. Some of the financial details underpinning the rates would change, but in terms of the total revenue requirement that Centerpoint received out of, out of the case and the settlement, not much change. And I would say for AEP, there is one other factor in the AEP case that I haven't brought up, but... In 2015, AEP was actually two different utilities. Uh, it was the Central Division or Central Central and North. They were two different utilities. They consolidated in 2015. And so the cost of service for both of those service areas was vastly different. And this was the first time that they proposed to serve both of those service areas under the same rate, which caused a rate increase for uh, the South the South Texas customers and a rate decrease for the North Texas customers. So that was an additional piece that the, we were looking at in this case, which I think was partially why we ended up with a significant rate decrease. So based on kind of the outcomes of those two cases, and as we've discussed, they were spurred by uh, changes in the law requiring uh, a regular review of rates for investor-owned utilities. Do you both feel that this new process worked the way it was intended? Are there any lessons learned or was the legislative intent of that new law met, do you think? I think that it was, Lauren, and certainly in the Centerpoint case, Centerpoint came away uh, with an with an updated cost of service, with an updated revenue requirement. Their last revenue requirement, particularly the return component, was set kind of in the wake of the financial crisis a decade ago. To my mind, they were due for a second look, and the adjustments that the commission made, I think, or the settlement made, I think really brought their rates up to date in a way. The fact that they did not receive a significant rate change, you know, plus or minus, I think suggests that the, that the intent of the legislature was not here. You know, I think the legislature was concerned that utilities were spending, electric utilities were spending a very long time away from the PUC. And some of those details that underpin their rates were getting out of whack. And perhaps you could read the center point cases as proving that intent out. I think going forward, in terms of, of what the case, what the center point case means for electric utilities, parties to uh, electric utility cases, to my mind, the, the lesson here is, well, I guess work on settlement as early as is feasible. In the center point case, the settlement came quite late in the procedural schedule, unusually late to my mind. And if parties feel like settlement is, is viable as a real possibility, I think it, it makes sense to start that process as early as you can. Amy, your thoughts? What, you, what are the lessons learned from the AVP case? I think everything you said is correct, Chris. I think there will be hopefully a focus on earlier settlement discussions if parties feel like that's feasible. It should be noted that this year, 2020, only 
transmission utility IOUs are required to come in. So we're not seeing a transmission and distribution utility come in for a rate case this year. The next one will be in 2021 and that will be Encore. And that'll, that'll be a very large rate case as well. So I think it, I, people, the state of Texas, all the people who are paying attention now, you know, seeing how this commission and these commissioners in particular uh, address these issues and think about these issues. And I think there might be an earlier push for settlement discussion. And, you know, I do think that the system has worked, especially uh, to update these utilities rate base for the interim filings, which we haven't discussed, but, you know, IOUs have the ability to file interim basically a little interim rate cases every single year that go through very quickly, which can result in significant rate increases as well. But it's important to establish a baseline for those cases so that, you know, we're looking at the right rates to begin with. And so I think that this this law has worked because it will be updated at least every four to five years. And, And one last question for you guys as we wrap it up. As we're taping this, we're several months into the COVID-19 pandemic, and I didn't know if you would like to share some thoughts on how you see perhaps utility responses or impacts to utilities from the pandemic, how that may impact rate filings at the PUC or or the work of the PUC in regulating utilities. Yeah, interesting question, Lauren, because as the COVID situation develops, tough to know where it may take, you know, our electric utility system. I'll say two things. First, it seems like pandemic has not really affected consumption, electric utility usage. It, it has maybe in a very small way, something like 1% going to At least if things stay on the present course, it seems to me we're unlikely to see the need for some kind of rate adjustment because of vastly different usage on the system. Secondly, as the COVID situation there's on, there may be some financial market effects that aren't necessarily about other utilities primarily, but electric utilities have their rates set using a number of variables that come from the financial markets, things like return on equity or what is an appropriate capitalization structure. And so if you begin to see real significant changes in the country's financial markets, there may be some kind of trickle-down impacts to electric utility rate setting. Yeah, so... In in response to COVID-19, the commission issued some emergency orders back in March. One of those allows the utilities to establish a regulatory asset for the amount of money that they are spending right now due to COVID-19. And so these regulatory assets will be coming up in rate cases until we get out of this and until the next rate case. And so, you know, as a line item case, there's going to be a COVID-19 recovery line, but that's like a direct impact from COVID-19 as opposed to in addition to Chris's broader discussion about the market. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll kind of just have to stay tuned and see how this unfolds. Thank you guys both so much for sharing your thoughts on these topics today. Really appreciate it. And certainly our listeners, if you would like to do a deeper dive or have more information with respect to the work of our energy and utility practice group, please don't forget to visit our website at www.lglawfirm.com. And really appreciate you guys being here today and hope our listeners have a good rest of their day. Thank you. 
like more information about what you've heard today, please visit lglawfirm.com. You can also find us at Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views, nor are they endorsed by Lloyd Gosling Law Firm. None of this content should be considered legal advice, as one should always consult a lawyer. This podcast is not intended for commercial purposes and is made available at no cost. Music for the podcast is from Album Jazz U and is titled By the Coast 2004-2007 by Anthony Rajikov. License under the attribution non-commercial share-alike license is available on Free Music Archive. To learn more, visit by clicking the link in today's summary.